We just got done watching a bunch of amazing athletes compete in Japan. And believe me, I was glued to the TV. One of the athletes I watched was Alana Yip. Alana is known as Canada's top overall rock climber. She's been competing since she was a kid, but there haven't always been opportunities for her on a global level. This year was different. It was the first year that rock climbing was included at this international competition. Through her hard work and training, Alana qualified to be one of the climbers on the wall making history. I was lucky enough to interview her before she headed to Japan. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. In the past five years, Alana has broken national and international records. She's the first Canadian woman to make it to the final rounds of World Cups, and she holds seven national rock climbing titles. Becoming such a skilled athlete takes years of training, and Alana started climbing when she was just six years old. She was first introduced to the sport in the same way many of us are. Some family friends were into it, and they brought her along to a climbing gym. By the time Alana was eight, she was hooked, and so she started competing. Alana Yip, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thanks. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to just watch your career thrive and just keep blowing up. So you started rock climbing at age six. What was it like to compete in rock climbing as a kid? Climbing was a bit different back then. I think in Canada, in my age category, there were only really three girls that were competitive. So it was pretty exciting. You would pretty much make the podium every time <laughs> because there were only three of us. Maybe there were four of us at some times and then occasionally somebody would move away or quit and then somebody else would join. But I really loved the competitions. The format that it was back in those days was called scramble format. So they would basically reset the entire gym and there'd be like 60 new climbs from pretty easy for me as a 10-year-old to quite hard for one of Canada's top climbers. And you basically just got three hours. You would go in there with all your friends from the climbing team and you just see how many you could do. So you won your first national competition at age 12. What did winning feel like on that big of a level? It was pretty exciting. I remember the weekend. It was a very stressful weekend. It was actually, it was so hot all the competitors were stuck in this tiny little area because I don't know if you know how climbing competitions work, but you've never climbed the route before and you can't watch anybody else climb it. So they stick you in this little room called isolation. There was like pretty much no ventilation and it was tiny, it was cramped, it was sweaty. How long did you have to stay in there before your climb? Um, because... I was young, so my category usually went out quite early. I think I was only in there for two hours or so, but I know some of the older kids were in there for six, eight hours waiting. Six to eight hours? That's a long time. Yeah. That's crazy. I thought it was going to be like 40 minutes max. No, sometimes it can take quite a long time. <laughs> How did it feel to win? There were all these kids that were so much bigger than me and scarier. <laughs> All I remember is being afraid of other people because I was very shy and stressed out. But getting to stand on top of the podium that day was 
a pretty amazing feeling. And you were a shy kid. So I'm curious, like, did anybody in your family climb? What did they think of you climbing? Uh, Nobody in my family climbed before me. But when I started climbing, my mom started climbing as well. The parents group of our youth team, they were all really close, actually. And they would do a lot of stuff together. They would always volunteer for the competitions that we were competing at. My mom trained actually all the way up to being a continental level judge at one point. That's so cool. And our parents would like travel together, even not climbing. My partner, actually, we grew up on the same climbing team and he's five years older than me. So when we were kids, we were not friends because at, you know, 13 to 18 is a big gap. But our moms were really good friends. Our moms took a trip to Quebec together to go like cheese tasting and biking. That is so cool. So then when you guys finally introduced the parents, it was like a breeze. Yeah. Yeah. We, I think the first year that we were together, we had like a family Christmas. That is so cool. I love that story. I just got goosebumps. Vancouver's a really special place to grow up. Mm-hmm. I love it. Every time I've been there, I've felt so at home. I, there is something about trees for me that's really, really calming. And Vancouver is full of like the most beautiful trees. Did you guys just grow up hiking outside in the trees? Yeah, both of my parents hike quite a bit. We've had dogs my entire life. And my dad has worked from home since I was six. And he walks the dog every single morning. They actually live their house their backyard borders on the forest in North Van, which is like just a huge collection of trails for hiking and mountain biking. And my, my mom hikes maybe three times a week. She's a doctor and her schedule's pretty intense. But on the weekends, we all hike together. Alana's parents had a huge influence on her. They're smart and outdoorsy, and so is Alana. She's naturally analytical. When Alana graduated high school, she decided to make a big decision about her career. At the time, there was no Canadian women's climbing team that competed on a global stage. So since there wasn't space for her to continue professionally as a climber, Alana decided to stop and focus on something else. All right, so you competed when you were 12, all through high school. And then you went to college, and I know you studied, like, no joke, engineering, which is amazing, and I want you to talk to me about that later on, but you took some time off of climbing, and I'm really curious, sort of, why you did that. Like, you'd climbed your whole life, you go to college, like, why did you take some time off, and then how did you get back into it? So, I took time off because... I wanted to do engineering right. I wanted to give 100% of my focus and my energy to engineering. It was always something that I had wanted to do. My dad's a mechanical engineer, and literally from kindergarten, I used to tell people that I wanted to be an inventor just like my dad when I grew up. So, Wait, what did your dad invent? Tell me a little bit about your dad real quick. My dad is amazing. He's so smart. And right now his big project, super cool. It's an electric race car that he designed and, and built himself. And it he maintains it. He works pretty much every day on it. It's his, his baby. 
Yeah, so basically you're from a family of badasses. Dad is a badass engineer. You're becoming an engineer. So you want to do engineering right. And so you just kind of give up climbing altogether or how do you do this? Yeah, I, I was moving out to UBC, the university I went to. It's in the same city that I'm from, but it's about a 45 to an hour drive from my parents' house. And it's a 45 minute bus ride from the closest climbing gym, which that was more the issue. It was just too much time out of any school day to go take you know, the bus for 45 minutes, train for a couple of hours, then take the bus 45 minutes back. So I just decided that for a couple of years, I would just not climb. I had just aged out of the youth competition circuit, and I didn't really see a real future for myself in the adult competition circuit. At the time, to be honest, there, there wasn't. Had I taken a year off of school to pursue climbing, it wouldn't have gone well. Right, because at the time, the international circuit didn't even exist. So you chose engineering, but I heard you did a study abroad in Switzerland and you rediscovered your love of climbing. Tell me about studying in Switzerland and how you did this. For sure. Um, it was actually, I got back into climbing just before I went to Switzerland. I was pretty miserable for a year without climbing. And I, in that year, I, I probably climbed maybe three or four times. Like it was, it was a complete break for me. It was going almost cold turkey. And there was a good friend of mine uh, who was also on the youth team with me. And that summer after my second year, we both got back into it. And then I randomly picked Switzerland to go for my academic exchange. A coach from the Vancouver area knew the coach over there. The coach was super welcoming, as were all of the athletes. Uh, they taught me a bit of German. And then I got the opportunity to train with the local team there. We did a lot of different climbing trips together, like all the way around Switzerland, to South Africa, and to France. And I'm still good friends with a lot of them today. So did you climb outside? Did you climb mostly inside? Like, what was your aha moment when you were there where you're like, I need to get back into climbing in a more robust way than I had been? It was both. So the, the team that I trained with was training indoors a few times a week. And a lot of the people on the team loved climbing so much that every weekend was also climbing outside. So I would train with them during the week and then we'd go outside climbing somewhere on the weekend. And I was just so happy with that. I, I remember that's what life can be like. <laughs> and that was the sort of lifestyle that I, I wanted. I realized in the gym, in training, that I could keep up to this group of women who had all made World Cup semifinals and finals. So that was my aha moment of being like, I could do that too. Like, I love both indoor and outdoor climbing for different reasons and in different parts of my life, but I could compete well on the international circuit like these women do. That is so amazing. That had to have been such an incredible feeling and probably really empowering hanging out with these European kick-ass women who were climbing outside and I'm sure you were on these beautiful European landscapes. What do you love about rock climbing that's like no other sport? 
What I first loved about climbing is the same thing that I still love most about climbing. It's the fact that it's a mental and a physical puzzle. I'm a super logical, analytical person, and that really appealed to me. It really kept me engaged, both my brain and my body. So I, that's why I loved it. And then when you're outside climbing, it's a way to connect with the land like no other that I've ever found. And I also love the community of climbing. Although we compete, you're not very competitive with the other people, if that makes sense, because it's always you versus the wall. It's not you versus another person. So it's actually a very supportive competition community. When Elena came back from studying abroad, she was ready to start competing again. She took her training seriously and it paid off. In 2020, Alana had the most memorable indoor climb of her life. When we come back, Alana talks about that triumphant win and how it qualified her for Japan. She also talks about training and how she deals with her fear of falling. While most of my time is spent on the ocean, I'm known to head to the mountains to snowboard. Thanks to Arcteryx, I have a jacket that I know checks all the boxes. Their Beta AR jacket is light, packable, and with its Gore-Tex Pro Shell, waterproof. This jacket was designed with all mountain sports in mind, so you're protected across the entire spectrum of alpine environments and activities. I'm a fan of the details like the helmet-compatible hood, an embedded reflector to increase visibility. And like all Arcteryx gear, there are options outside of black and gray, which makes me happy. Always nice to add a splash of color to the mountains. You can find out more about Arcteryx and the Beta AR jacket at rei.com forward slash B forward slash Arcteryx. That's rei.com forward slash B forward slash A-R-C-T-E-R-Y-X. In the same pioneering spirit of our podcast, Teva is all about bringing wild ideas to life. An innovator in the sport sandal category, Teva has launched a brand new slip-on that delivers the same foot-hugging comfort as the original icon. Enter the Re-Ember, a next-generation camp shoe. This quilted slip-on offers all-terrain versatility with a durable rubber sole and water-resistant finish. But the best part? The Re-Ember is reimagined with recycled materials including a 100% recycled adventure-ready ripstop upper inspired by classic outdoor gear. So whether you're running around town, kicking back at the campground, or curled up on the couch, this cozy companion ensures toasty heat for tired feet. Go ahead, slip on and bliss out. Discover Teva's Re-Ember collection this fall with select colors available at your local REI and at REI.com. Alana came back from Switzerland, she graduated from college, and she was ready to put everything into her career as a climber. She trained hard, and on her last chance to make it to Japan, she had a victorious comeback. Okay, so tell us about qualifying for Japan. This is an incredible achievement, and congratulations. Like, tell me about this. 
yeah, I'm obviously super excited that I made it. And it's been a long journey to qualify. It was announced in 2016, this competition. So it took me about a year to fully be okay with saying publicly that I wanted this, that this was my goal. And then in 2019, the qualification process started and for 12 months straight, I competed almost every month, sometimes two two or even three times in a month to try to qualify. And I was flying all over the world. I was barely at home. It was really hard and stressful. And I was really close in the first two qualification competitions. And when it came to the very last chance in LA in February of 2020, I had to win that competition to make it. So that was more pressure than I've ever felt in my life. I knew I really, really wanted it. I had trained so hard. And yeah, it, it all came down to that, that one last day. So after some pretty intense training, you made it to Canada's national competition. You really had an incredible comeback. You were in sixth place until the final climb, and you ended up winning the entire thing. Tell me about that. Yeah, so after the qualification day, I was in sixth going into the final round. And we had a day or two off in between when the the men competed. And I was freaking out. Like I had many, many conversations with my coach who was there, my partner, my parents, my mental performance coach, basically everybody who has been along the journey with me and they all reminded me that this was kind of my plan that I had talked about beforehand to maybe not put a hundred percent effort into the qualification day so that I could save some for the final and well it it worked but it was super nerve-wracking going in so there's three events that make up our overall event so the first is speed climbing So that actually went quite badly for me. I did end up out of eight. I think I was sixth out of eight. So going into the next one, bouldering, I was already sixth, uh, but that was my best discipline. And I managed to win that one. And I think coming from behind helped me a little bit, mindset-wise. In climbing, I've always been a bit of the like underdog really like I've never been the best like from the time I was young like when I was saying that there was only a few girls in my category when I started climbing there were but I wasn't the best one I was usually second or third more often than not so it's kind of been my whole life has been trying to come from behind and so I think that helped me in in that situation on that last day for that last climb then when it came to the the lead climbing, I was in a good position, but I knew that I just had to kind of turn off my brain and climb how I knew I could. And if I did my best, I would probably qualify, but there was nothing, it was only me that could do anything about it. So I couldn't freak out. I couldn't panic or anything. I just had to stay as calm as I could. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. 
I have never been so calm and so, so 100% focused. I've also never, I think, performed so well on a lead climb in competition. What happens to you when you get to that state? Does like time stand still? Does noise fade? Like, I mean, that's when you're in flow is what you're describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, time slows down a little bit for me. And I'm not nervous, if that makes sense. I'm just thinking about the next move, the next hold. I'm not thinking about how far I've come or how far I've got left to go. I'm just confidently moving. Mm. And in the present moment, that sounds so nice. So you talk about how at climbing competitions, people have to stay in one room for several hours in isolation before their race. It won't be like that in Japan, will it? No. So this summer, it's a similar format, but there's only 20 people. So it goes a lot faster. So what we do is the speed climb, you know what it looks like. There's just a standardized wall. So we all go out, do our speed climbing, and then we go back into isolation. And what they'll usually do is cover the other climbs or at least project something on them so you can't see what anything looks like. They project some sort of like pattern that looks cool from afar, but it really like covers what it looks like. And then for bouldering, we can't see the climbs until we turn around for our five minutes. And then for lead climbing, we'll all go out together and we get four minutes to look at the climb and try to read it. But all together, we can talk, talk through it. Uh, and then we go back into isolation and then come out one at a time to try it. So you can talk with the other climbers about the lead climb? Uh, yeah. Before anybody's actually tried it, you can talk about it with other people. Is that something you wouldn't do, though, with people who are on another team? No, you do it. Climbing's pretty, like, everyone supports each other. So I think sometimes what happens, there's a language barrier quite often. I'm lucky to have English as a first language, but oftentimes teammates will stick together so they can speak their native language. What are some of the things you talk about with other competitors? We talk about the sequence, which is the order in which you might grab the holds, or where you might clip the quick draws from, any weird movements or body positions that you see. Sometimes there might be like hidden holds. So you try to like find those and talk about them. Yeah, but I'm surprised like in other sports they would be like, oh, do this. And then they're like messing with you and like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've never done that. I That would never really occur to me because, you know, if you have something to share, they might also have something to share while climbing competitions themselves are usually held in controlled environments a lot of climbers also do challenging ascents outdoors that can be a bit wild and pretty dangerous one wrong move and they could fall several hundred feet even though Lana has been rock climbing for almost her entire life she still gets scared and nervous I know you said you're a shy person, but at competitions, there's crowds, audiences, press. How do you deal with that? I don't look at them. That's <laughs> my main way of dealing with it. If you watch me during a bouldering round, I will either be looking at the ground or facing the wall. I might look around just very briefly so I can see my coach or a teammate because that will make me feel better but I don't look out at the crowd so you really don't like people in those situations 
I try to not think about how many people like I like people but there's when there's so many people it's really overwhelming for me well tell me about that because I'm such an extroverted person that I'm always curious like how my introverted friends deal with that well I guess it really just I'd prefer if people weren't watching if you know when I was climbing they could just turn around or something that would be great but you're so fun to watch like I want to watch you climb like everybody wants (laughs) to watch you climb like you're an incredible athlete the way you move the way you do it all it's just not something that you're comfortable with yeah but it's fine as soon as I get on the wall I'm not thinking about that anymore I'm I'm totally focused on what I'm doing I'm not stressed about other people I've practiced that quite a bit but I'm pretty good with it now but still if I come out onto the mat and I'm looking out I'm like oh there's actually like a thousand people or more out there sometimes it's a little scary so how are you training for that knowing there's going to be you know a few people watching you coming up? Uh, When it's just live streamed, it's not a problem because I can't see any of the people that are watching on TV back home. That doesn't really bother me. It's kind of a perfect year because there's not going to be a lot of people watching live. I know, right? (laughs) You said you have a mental performance coach. What's that look like? So I guess a mental performance coach is like a sports psychologist. I work with somebody who works with a lot of climbers in Canada. Oh, I love that. Yeah, she's awesome. And staying calm in important moments too. She helped me a ton with that. So what have you learned from this coach about staying calm, especially in stressful situations? Paying attention to the sensations in my feet really helps me stay grounded when I'm really nervous. Um, It really just helps me focus back on my body and what's actually happening for me in that moment. If I get into sort of a panicky state when I'm climbing, I might stop and try to breathe and think about the sensations in my feet again, because that really, it's a good cue for me to help stay centered. Take me into your world. For someone who hasn't really climbed and by the way, gets like terrified once I'm up there outside on a rock, it's different than even at the gym. Like sometimes If I'm bouldering, I get a little spooked if I'm higher up. Any advice for, you know, a hack like me who's 41 and trying to be a climber? Well, I think the best advice for facing your fears or when you have a fear of heights is just to face it and kind of exposure therapy. You just, you do it in a way that you know that you are physically safe but that it still scares you and you just push outside your comfort zone bit by bit like that. I am not the most comfortable with heights either. This is something that I work on as well, especially outside. So what do you do? Same thing. Yeah. You just sort of push bit by bit. You might, you know, get to a point on a climb. Mostly outside is where I can get spooked, but I might get to a point where I get scared. And so I might stop. And the first thing I do is say, okay, time to calm down. Look around. Are you actually in danger? Like, what are you scared of? Are you scared just to have the adrenaline rush when you fall? Or are you scared for a legitimate reason that you might, you know, there's a a chance you might fall and hurt yourself? Because those are two different things in my head. And I try to push myself, or I do push myself a lot harder if it's just me getting spooked of taking a fall that's actually physically safe. What advice do you have 
for people who want to start climbing? Yeah, it's definitely a sport you can do at any age, especially the the roped versions are there's a lot less impact because you're not jumping down every single time. You're doing it for fun and always remember to have fun. I enjoy the climbing sessions where I'm out just playing with my friends the most. Alana has climbed in some high-stakes situations, but at the end of the day, it's all about having fun. It's inspiring to remember that we don't have to be a big-time athlete to start rock climbing, even if it might seem complex and really intimidating. Alana is back from Japan. We're all so proud of her. She even broke her personal record and the national Canadian record in her speed climbing. Alana, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've personally inspired me to climb more. In fact, I just joined my local indoor rock climbing gym because of you. And if you'd like to learn more about Alana, you can visit her Instagram page at Alana Yip. That's A-L-A-N-N-A-H-Y-I-P on Instagram. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas, and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we read every single one of your reviews. So take a minute and please write one. We also appreciate when you follow this show and when you rate it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen you follow your wildest ideas.